Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum and is titled Systemic Sclerosis Associated PAH, a complex patient set. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Hello. Today we're going to talk about scleroderma-related PAH and the fact that those patients have been underrepresented in clinical trials. I'm Valerie McLaughlin from the University of Michigan, and I'm joined by my friends and colleagues, Dr. Sudhir Rajagopal from Duke, Iwana Preston from Tufts, and Rich Krasuski, also from Duke. So welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining, joining me. So while scleroderma makes up probably the largest subgroup in most of our trials, it's still pretty small, 20% or so. Um, Sudar, tell me a little bit about your impressions from what we've learned in clinical trials about PAH related to scleroderma. Sure. So it's important to state, you know, scleroderma-associated PAH historically has been associated with very poor outcomes. Now, if we look at scleroderma in the past, the major cause of mortality was renal crisis before, until ACE inhibitors were developed. But then after that, immediately PAH became the major cause of mortality in scleroderma. So it's really critical to identify these patients, and that's why we screen annually uh, patients with scleroderma for PAH. And um, historically, the earlier trials really didn't suggest much of a benefit of PAH therapies with, in scleroderma. And a lot of these trials were based on six-minute walk distance. But in the more recent trials, they really, that are more event-driven and uh, focused on, say, RV function, they have shown a clear benefit to PAH therapies. Yeah, and Iwana, when we look at our therapeutic approaches, um, we have some trials in scleroderma, for example, the double upfront therapy, the study that was done at Hopkins. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. I think the uh, uh, most recent clinical data suggests that patients with scleroderma-associated PAH can be treated, and the impact on the upfront dual therapy in newly diagnosed patients is very important because they improve their RV function, and they pr- improve their uh, long-term outcome. Even the subpopulation in both Ambition and the Griffin studies suggest that these patients respond well to the current therapies. The uh, message, though, should be that they have to be screened early and annually, like the guidelines uh, recommend, and start the therapy as soon as possible. So, Rich, when we talk about the scleroderma patients, like when we think of them for clinical trials, but also when we think about treating them in practice, there's a lot of challenges that that come up. They tend to be older and with some comorbidities. Do you do you want to talk a little bit about some of the factors that complicate their treatment course? Sure, Val. You know, th- this is a very complex population. I think when you try to group them into an individual group, I think you like to I- ideally identify people with pure pulmonary arterial disease, but that's not, unfortunately, what we see in clinical practice. A lot of times we see people with some degree of left ventricular diastolic dysfunction related to the disease or people with extensive interstitial lung disease. And you often wonder, depending on the type of therapy you choose, how that's gonna affect their oxygen saturation. If you give them an oral agent, for instance, and they start shunting blood to areas that perhaps are more diseased, you know, how is that going to be tolerated? And as you mentioned, as these people get older as well, I think more complexities come out. They have a lot of comorbid illness, illness, and I think that makes it quite the challenge. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then even when we have someone that we think is mostly pure PAH, like I agree with you, they, they frequently have a little bit of diastolic heart failure or some ILD, but, you know, but, but even when we identify those patients that we think are mostly group one, we're always cautious about therapy for the reasons that, that you uh, elucidated, Rich. But, but when we think about escalating and getting to goal, sometimes risk assessment is a little bit more challenging in them. Do you, do you want to comment on that, Sudar? Sure. So it's important to remember that uh, patients with scleroderma may have exercise limitation for other reasons. Uh, a lot of these patients are older, so that may contribute. In general, most patients with scleroderma just feel bad in general. This is even before they have pulmonary hypertension. That limits what they can do. They can have thickening of their skin that limits their mobility. And so you'll see very frequently that these patients have decreased six-minute walk distances. So it can be very challenging when you talk to these patients. They'll tell you that they feel short of breath, their exercise limited, but then you get an echocardiogram and their right ventricle may actually not look that bad. Now, of course, we... You have to appreciate that in scleroderma, these right ventricles are not normal. There's some really elegant uh, data from the Hopkins group that have done invasive pressure volume loops in the right ventricle of scleroderma patients, and they clearly have an abnormal right ventricle compared to idiopathic PAH patients. Right. And so risk assessment can be challenging, right? Because they're never going to feel like they have functional class one, or you're never going to get functional class one or two symptoms out of them. And you know, they tend to be older and, you know, them walking 440 meters is pretty uncommon, yep. but their right ventricles may look really good. Yep. Yeah, so, so clearly a challenge. Iwana, as the lone pulmonologist in the group, do you want to comment on the challenges of treating PAH in the setting of interstitial lung disease, which, which they almost all have some of, and some of them have a lot, yes. and how to tell the difference between Group one and group three, you know, what, what direction do you go? Yes, it, it, it is a very challenging uh, group of patients. And to assess the uh, degree of lung fibrosis, which we all, they all have to a minimal degree, even those more pure pH scleroderma patients uh, versus a more severe um, ILD um, is sometimes uh, difficult. However, I think... Um, it, it's a continuum, and uh, we can identify those folks who have a more uh, pre- uh, significant pulmonary vascular disease and minimal fibrosis, and those are folks who can be treated as group one and will respond well to therapy versus those who have uh, a mild degree of pulmonary hypertension that is secondary to more severe interstitial lung disease, and that those are the folks who we would put them in the group three bucket. And we have to be careful when we treat those with PAH targeted therapies. And of course, there's the middle group that's probably most challenging. And, you know, on a case by case basis, we can try some pH therapies, recognizing that they may not respond well, and in addition, they may develop side effects. So we have to be very careful with this middle group. Right. And I think what you were referring to the side effects of worsening VQ mismatch hypoxemia. But Rich, let's move to the side effects of therapies. Now, we know all of our PAH-specific therapies have a lot of side effects. 
And our scleroderma patients, they tend to have, again, multi-system disease. They tend to have a lot of GI involvement from the get-go, you know, so in terms of managing some of the side effects, you know, obviously sometimes their hands are very involved managing a pump. Could you want to just summarize some of the challenges of, of managing these medications in the scleroderma sure, patients? Sure. I, I think as has been, you know, adequately discussed, I think, by by Sudar and by Iwana, I think, you know, this is a disease that affects, you know, not only the pulmonary vasculature, but the interstitium and the left heart. And I think all those things are very common things we look for when it comes to side effects of medical therapy, things like worsening, you know, left-sided disease. So some of these people, in fact, will get elevated, you know, wedge and, and left ventricular and diastolic pressure, which you have to watch for because, you know, those people can develop low, low levels of pulmonary edema, which, you know, unless you're clinically looking for it, you may miss that. Um, you know, some of this tight skin and stuff makes it sometimes hard to assess for peripheral edema, et cetera. Um, but if obviously if that develops, that's a big deal as well. Um, and as you mentioned, some of the GI tolerance uh, issues, particularly when using prostanoid type therapies are very common and they're very common already in the population. So differentiating what's part of the natural disease process from the actual therapies you're given, it's often very difficult to distinguish. So I think documentation is very, very important before you start these treatments so you know how things are potentially changing over time. Right. And even, I mean, the prostacyclines, I agree, are the, the most difficult, but even the NO pathway agents, a lot of them cause reflux. And so many of these patients have reflux as it is. Mm -hmm. So a really challenging patient population, you know, they've been included in some clinical trials, but not highly represented, but there's some of our greatest challenges in, in clinics. So Sudar, Iwana, Rich, thanks for joining me. This was a really important conversation about our scleroderma patients. We all see them a great deal, and the pulmonary arterial hypertension they get can cause a lot of compromises in their quality of life, and it's great to review the effective therapies that we have that it can improve their quality of life and, and their function. And thank you for joining us for this roundtable. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.